I'm in the middle of a series uh, talking about uh, radical love and radical results. But I want to ask a, a question of you first. And the question is this. Uh, did you find God or did God find you? Uh, you know, just go back and think about how you got connected with the Lord. And, um, you know, it's not like, it's one of those questions that you need to kind of think about a little bit. Uh, because it's different for each one of us. I guarantee you that my experience of how I came to faith in Christ is nobody else has got the same experience. And in a similar way, your experience of how you came to faith in Christ Nobody else came to faith in Christ the way you came to faith in Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have faith in Christ, you're just kind of like exploring. You're trying to figure out, is God real? Like, how, you know, how does this work? You're in a really good place. And in fact, today's a really good message uh, for that. Because the, the, the amazing thing about God is, you know, with billions of people on this planet, God knows you personally. I mean, it, it, this is something we absolutely cannot fathom intellectually. And not only does God know you personally, He knows your whole history, which can be a little scary. Uh, and what's also a little bit mysterious is God knows your future. And when we connect with God in a personal way, it's personal. I mean, it's different for each one of us, and yet God is the same, and we can experience His love. But, I, you know, it's a process which is, I just find extremely uh, intriguing. I mean, I just never, ever get tired of seeing people uh, go from, you know, exploring faith in Jesus to becoming, you know, real excited followers of Jesus. Uh, it's one of those things where you can see it in somebody. I mean, they, they change, they, and it's, they always change for the better. I mean, I've never seen somebody come to faith in Jesus, and it's been a bad thing, or, you know, something then really, uh, you know, like the light switched off in their brain, or the light switched off in their countenance. Invariably, it's the exact opposite. I mean, they come alive. It seems like light is shining through them. They get energy. I mean, it, you know, life becomes exciting. So, uh, you know, how was it for you? I don't know. It, it, it may be that you were raised in the church, uh, which I would say would be plan A. You know, rather than waiting half your life uh, before you find Christ, uh, I mean, plan A would be you're raised in the church, and that's what we try to do with our children's ministry. We are trying to teach people, the kids, uh, at their level about God. Uh, we're trying to teach them the Bible, especially the main themes and the main characters in the Bible. But also, equally importantly, we want our teachers to be role modeling what Christ looks like. It's not just a, 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 a information dump. You know, it is modeling what it looks like to be loved by Christ and to be pouring out that love of Christ into the kids. And for the kids, it's, it's better caught than taught. I mean, when this is done well, 
you know, Sunday school and church experience is a totally awesome experience that really shapes their lives. Now we try and take that further into youth group when they start to think and they start to question and they, you know, developing their own lives. We try to encourage them in youth group. And I think in youth group, one of the things that shapes our youth more than anything is having friends which are like-minded or are ahead of them in faith uh, uh, hopefully, you know, your youth group leader or a parent that's uh, ahead of where the youth are and they can do fun and exciting things together and explore faith in Christ. I mean, my kids, you know, they grew up and we just started this church. In fact, we didn't even have a youth group. My son had to go to youth group at, at, a, at another vineyard church in Framingham. And my daughter went to youth group here where, I don't know, there was probably like four people. But the youth group leader that we had at that point uh, Laura Bowman, I mean, she just come out of the mission field for like six months out of Mozambique. And uh, my daughter and her just like connected. You know, there was something that she got. And then when my daughter went and my son, when they went to university uh, and their faith was challenged, uh, they weren't they weren't shaken. In fact, you know, my daughter went to like extremely liberal university and it was really good for her faith uh, because she found a vineyard church in the town. Uh, she got part of the church and she served in the church and the children's ministry and she related to the campus. I mean, she ended up being the, I don't know what the title was, but the evangelist of some sort where they were, the church wanted her to be the bridge point between uh, the university and church. And she just uh, did that. And then they did youth group. They did like college campus ministry uh, which was uh, challenging for her because, you know, different types of uh, faith. Uh, but it was a growing experience for her. And so in a similar way, that would be plan A. That's what we, th that's the plan we try to unfold as a church, that whether you come in here today as a guest the first time, whether you're like steeped in faith, where you're still trying to explore faith, or whether you're a family that's committed to this church and, and we just want to see your kids grow from the beginning till they leave and go to college where they uh, get it, where they, you know, understand who Christ is, but it becomes personal. Uh, that's what we would love for you to have. Anybody that's been around uh, Debbie Drennan uh, knows that Debbie likes to tell a story quite often about how she was on her way to go buy groceries at, at, uh, at Price Chopper down the road. And and she felt the Spirit of God just said, you need to go to church. And so she did. And it was a bizarre experience for her because she's Jewish and she hadn't been going to church and whatever. So Debbie, I've got to f I'm going to put you on the spot and you're going to fill in some blanks here because I'm just, like I said, I never get bored. Uh, but I don't know your whole story and I need you to fill in some blanks here for me, uh, if you would. Come on up here, Debbie. I know you're super excited. She's got no warning. And uh, you know, welcome to being part of a medium-sized church. You know, if we were a big fancy church, we'd have those leather chairs out here and we'd be like, you can hold this. I'll take you it away from I'll take chair. it away from you and you talk too much. <laughs> if we were a fancy church with those leather chairs and, you know, a nice glass of water and we'd be there. But, you know, we're a church we are, so you just don't fall over the cables and, uh, and, and we'll do just great. Debbie, just tell me quickly. So you grew up Jewish. What did that mean to you? Did you, like, go to shul? Did you learn Hebrew? Did you do nothing? Were you culturally Jewish? What did that mean? Um, I guess you could say culturally Jewish. We did celebrate the Jewish holidays. We'd spend them with my grandparents. 
Uh, we'd go to New Hampshire where they lived, or they'd come to okay, us. Okay, so you don't speak Hebrew, and you're not from. I, I did take Sunday school. Sunday it was school. Hundred okay. years. They called it Sunday school. And how familiar were you with? Are you with the the Torah or fairly? Okay. Familiar? Yeah. Okay. Somewhat familiar. Fairly Medium at this point. Medium. Okay. So fast forward. Uh, now you like doing whatever your life's doing, and uh, a friend of yours from Ohio phones you and says to you. I'm going to, what did she say to you? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Or, or I, what did she say to you? My friend is Jan. We've been friends for over 50 years. And to know us and our friendship, you'd die laughing. I, you've never met a more giving, funny, silly friend in our But she's in Ohio. And yeah, you, she's yeah, in Ohio. And you haven't seen each other for a while. No, um, we hadn't even talked for months. For months. And she phones you up and she says, what about Jesus? Well, it started with a dog. No, can't tell me that story. She said something. I'm going to leave. I want you need to know Jesus, right? Is that what she said? Basically. Basically. Okay. Well, stay with me here because I know you got a lot to say and I don't have a lot of time. No, it's okay. Okay. So she. No, no. Wait a minute. She says, Debbie, I, you need to know Jesus, but I'm going to phone you in three days' time. Right. Okay. And then she phones you in three days' time and she says what to you? She says to me, it's about time you belong to a church. There's a lot going on, and I really need you to go. She made a phone call, and she didn't remember the woman she talked to, but she described how she sounded. Oh, it was St. Bernadette. Everybody speaks yeah, to Bernadette. Yeah, and, I mean, and she said very and, compassionate, soft-spoken. And she was a really nice person and did an awesome job. Oh, good, yep. So she told me it's called the Vineyard Church, and I said, yeah, it's like two minutes down the road from my house. And she says, so... What are you waiting for? And so five minutes later, you were here. Just about three years later. Three years later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slow sometimes. So three years later, Debbie's. Three years later, Debbie's like, okay, I, you know, I don't know what this all. About. I'm going to price shop. I'm on my way to buy some milk. And then finally, finally, she listens to the Holy Spirit and she comes in. Yeah, it just. I've never felt anything like it before. I drive a Volvo SUV, and that thing's got to be at least four tons with all the safety equipment. And I did have a mission to go get milk. So I'm driving by here, and I'm getting closer. There's a business over right before this one. And I don't know, my car started to feel funny. And next thing I know, it's like something's pulling me in. And there were two cars, and I said, OK, what do I do? I'm here. Walk in the door. Think of Jan, because she's... Now, this was Sunday. Well, this is midweek. This is it Sunday. Was, it was uh, December 23rd. Oh, not like you remember it, but yeah, December well, you the 23rd. You have to. I mean, if something turns your car and you're not the one doing it, it leaves quite an impression. Okay, I, I guess so. <laughs> December 23rd. Was that a Sunday, or was it just, or was just a date imprinted in your... It doesn't matter. Doesn't I think it, it was actually Wednesday, because I got okay, the news was a, a friend had died. Oh, okay. All right, so then you come to church, and somehow or other you connect with Jesus as you've been sitting here listening. And okay, great. Definitely. Well, you're a charismatic preacher here, and everybody's been... And Debbie can fill in all the blanks. Nope, no thanks for burning. I mean, yes, you can think, Bernie. Uh, it, just, it just never gets old. I mean, now, I guarantee you that wasn't your story, coming to the church. I mean, although funny enough, I, we have, have had a few people feel like they're just driving up and down here and they've ended up here at the church. Sort of similar, but not exactly the same. Everybody's story is different. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you can be a person of faith and uh, your kids 
could not end up following in faith. In fact, I think probably one of the uh, more sort of dark stories or one of the most depressing stories would be Joseph Stalin. Uh, Joseph Stalin, uh, if we've got a picture of him, you can stick it up here. Uh, you may or may not know his, his parents were very committed Christians. His dad was a priest, a full-time priest. And uh, he actually, uh, now I don't know the back story, but I'm, I'm thinking like this didn't go well. Uh, so dad forces son to become a priest and says, you need to go to seminary. And so he does five years of seminary. And at the end of all of that, uh, you know, some of his famous lines were, you know, things like, okay, we're just pulling the wool over your eyes. There is no God. And he ends up, you know, killing millions of people. I mean, you don't even know how many people he, he killed, whether it was 3 million or 60 million, a huge difference. You know, and he makes this uh, ridiculous uh, statement. One death, uh, the death of one man is a tragedy. The death of millions is a statistic. And that's pretty much was his, you know, mindset, just no compassion. So, you know, just growing up in a Christian home is no guarantee uh, of, of success, so to speak. But I, 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 you know, in a case like this, something went terribly, terribly wrong. I mean, for us to pass on our faith to our kids uh, it requires more than just forcing them to learn facts, whether it be a children's ministry, youth ministry, or seminary. Uh, and, you know, maybe a more uh, contemporary mystery uh, story for us is our mindset, I've said this so many times, our mindset as we approach faith is often like we approach college, like, okay, we need to learn the facts and learn the Bible, and then we're all set, we're good to go. And uh, you can learn the Bible and not be all set and not be good to go. Uh, I had a friend, uh, some of you have, have, have met him. He went to uh, Harvard, uh, to the Divinity School, uh, and he graduated from Harvard Divinity School, a complete atheist, uh, until he met Christ at a vineyard church. And it was so, like, shocking to him to experience Christ that, that he became a pastor and he planted a church in, in, in the UMass area. Uh, you know, so what I am saying is this. Faith is mysterious. It's, it's more than just an accumulation of facts. I mean, we get it because of the facts of the Bible. We get it because we've seen it modeled in others. But we get it because some way or another, we connect with Christ. Uh, and like I said, it's different for all of us. Uh, and maybe I should just pray, you know, at that at this point, uh, for for Christ to to mysteriously re, uh, reveal Himself. Uh, well, let me just pray. Jesus, I just welcome Your presence. Lord, yeah, You say remarkable things, like we can accomplish nothing unless it's You that does it. And so, Lord, I, I just acknowledge uh, I can preach. Uh, you know, whatever, and have absolutely no benefit at all. But on the other hand, Lord, you, by your power of your spirit, you can help me to communicate. You can help uh, people to hear what it is you're saying. And uh, we can experience your love uh, and who you are. And so, Lord, I just pray for that today. That any that are doubting or those that have had faith and have gone flat that you would stir them up again, that you would pour out your love on them again, that you would show them the exciting future that you have for them. 
So, Lord, I just pray, pour out your power on this message today. In your name, Jesus. Uh, amen. If you've got a Bible, uh, when, uh, whether it be a hard copy version or your phone version, uh, why don't you make your way to Luke chapter 19, and let's look at the story of uh, Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10, uh, and we look at the story of Zacchaeus. And I want to, uh, just before I read it, put that question I posed in the beginning once again. Uh, and the question is this, did Zacchaeus find Jesus or did Jesus find Zacchaeus? Follow along with me as uh, I read here. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, you need to understand something. In Judaism, in Jerusalem, in that re region at the time, not everybody of faith, not every Jewish person thought about faith the same way. There were many different sects within Judaism. And there was a lot of strife and conflict within Judaism. Uh, and one of the sort of despised sects of Judaism would have been those Jews which saw themselves being Jewish, but also aligned uh, to the ruling power, the Roman influence. And so the Romans loved it because they could use the Jewish people to keep the Jewish people under control. And they could also use the Jewish people to get the money, which is really what the Romans wanted. Uh, and so they were a great uh, in-between people where the governments, the rulers, the Romans could uh, further their agenda. They could have people on the ground. And the Jewish people colluding with the government could become extremely wealthy and rich. So there was lots in it for them. But as you can imagine, uh, with the other Jewish people, they were despised, they were hated, they were seen as traitors, they were, you know, for all the obvious reasons. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, not just an average tax collector, the chief. I mean, he oversaw the whole, you know, a whole bunch of other tax collectors, uh, and he was extremely rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, uh, who's now coming into Jericho, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. Now here's the mysterious part. Uh, Zacchaeus has done his part. Uh, he is uh, intrigued, uh, interested. Uh, who knows why he's intrigued? Uh, is it because Jesus has got a reputation? Is it because he's heard some of his teachings and it's uh, intriguing to him? Is it because he's heard about some of the miracles that Jesus has done? I don't know, but he's intrigued and he wants to hear from Jesus. And so <clears throat> he does something which is not overly heroic or overly brave or, you know, overly noteworthy. He makes every effort, you know, for what he can and climbs up a tree and, and hopes he's going to get a, uh, to see Jesus. But uh, look at this part. When Jesus came by, verse 5, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Most people really like their own name. And, you know, if you had to walk into this uh, church, maybe say today was your first time and uh, we had never met. And I said, hey, Paul, hi, Jane, how you doing? I mean, you'd be like, how does he know our names? You know, and I, well, I wouldn't and I don't and I'm not Jesus. But, uh, you know, Jesus knows your name. Uh, and whenever we 
are connected with somebody in relationship, uh, we know their names. We know a lot about them. But Jesus knows your name. He knew Zacchaeus' name. And believe me, this got Zacchaeus' attention in a hurry. So Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I want to just point out, you know, if you're following along with your, your bulletin insert, there's like four things which are pretty extraordinary that's happening in this very quick uh, conversation that Jesus has with Zacchaeus. The first one is, uh, you know, he singles him out. I mean, there's all these people there. But, you know, when God is on a mission with you, uh, he singles you out from the crowd. And somehow or other, God notices you. And, you know, this, that happens fairly often in church. You know, somehow or other, God just connects with you. You, you sense him. You, you, it's like either you feels like I know your story, or even though I don't, or I'm saying something that relates totally to where you're at, even though I wouldn't have a clue where it's at. Uh, or, you know, it's like, how did Rob know that about me? Or, and I don't. Uh, you know, because Jesus is at work. He notices you. Uh, and even though there's hundreds of people, uh, Jesus connects with you. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. It's an extraordinary thing. But uh, Jesus singles Zacchaeus out. He's not distracted by the crowd or the noise. And he calls him by name. The other thing which is a little extraordinary or unusual, you know, here is Jesus walking up to somebody he's never met. Uh, he's oblivious to the crowd. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm come into your house. I mean, nobody invites themselves over to their house. You know, I mean, I know I'm a little pushy sometimes as a pastor, and I'm a little rude, and sometimes I do just show up at your house, look out, that does kind of happen. But, you know, I know for the most part that's not really welcoming, and it's kind of rude, and, you know, you really want to have an appointment, and you really want to set it up, and blah, blah, blah. I understand it. But Jesus, like, he doesn't even know the guy. I'm coming to your house. That's Look, in our culture, that would be weird. But in this culture, which is like so uh, associated with food and, and getting together, uh, that would have been pretty formal or pretty forceful or pretty pushy or whatever. But, you know, Zacchaeus is not at all offended. Uh, he knows that this is like an awesome opportunity. He's like super excited. But the other extraordinary thing about this whole uh, dialogue that's happening is Jesus is not like really perturbed about the crowd. Jesus not, has never been interested in being politically correct. I mean, and, and here's an example where Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to go hang out with the biggest loser in town, uh, the people everybody hates and despises. I'm going to go and have my reputation, Jesus, uh, ruined by hanging out with this guy. It doesn't even phase Jesus one bit. It doesn't phase Jesus that everybody's thinking in one direction and he's going to go in a completely opposite direction. It doesn't seem to phase Jesus either that like he's kind of busy. He's got a plan. He's on his way to be crucified. He's got a goal to meet. He's like, and yet, even though he's super busy, he's super sensitive to where people are at. So Jesus like really uh, takes the time and connects with, with Zacchaeus. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. But then what I like about the story, it, there's not a lot of uh, material. It's just like sort of fact, 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 and it's kind of got a punch to it. 
So the fact is, Jesus walks through town, looks up at Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house for, you know, uh, if, it's the, if it's the children's ministry, I'm coming to your house for tea. But, you know, here it says, Zacchaeus, I'm, I'm coming to your home today. I want to be a guest at your home. And Z- in verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Now, look, that's a, that's a common reaction when we encounter Christ is excitement and joy. I don't know why we would feel, I don't know why Zacchaeus would feel excited and joy. Is it because, you know, he's got the star of the show to come to his house? Uh, is it going to make Zacchaeus think he's going to be famous? I, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it's any of that. There's something when we encounter God, He gives us a sense of joy, a sense of peace, a sense of hope that we can't get our own, on our own by our own efforts. And so, Zacchaeus is excited. He says, uh, but the, well, let me read again. Zacchaeus quickly came down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement uh, and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Now look what happens in short measure. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give away, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Extraordinary. I mean, this is just absolutely remarkable. Think of it. Zacchaeus has been motivated by money all his life. He's been cheating people, robbing people, taking more than he should. He's become super wealthy. Now that he's a wealthy man, he's realizing like, okay, wealth isn't everything. Uh, There's still like something missing in my life. And he's not content. And he like hits the jackpot. I mean, now he's got Jesus uh, at his house talking to him. And what we would say using a different language would say he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And when people are convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's one of the most beautiful things that can ever happen to all of us. It's the most freeing, the most exciting uh, thing that can ever happen to us. And so Zacchaeus is convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then he starts saying what he's going to do, which is pretty extreme to say the least. I mean, he's going to give half of all his money. He's just going to like give it away to the poor. And then he's like got his Old Testament head, head on and he's like knows the laws in Leviticus that says, look, if I've stolen something, uh, I've got to give it back and four times as much. And he's like, I'm going to give back and I'm going to give four times as much. And now all of a sudden he's a holy guy, he's a religious guy, he's becoming like, you know, whatever. He's like, here's the interesting thing. Jesus never lessens the conviction that we experience by the Holy Spirit. And you should never lessen the experience the conviction that others experience by the Holy Spirit. What I mean is this. Jesus doesn't say to Zacchaeus, Zach, listen, that's a little extreme, buddy. You know, just like, give me 10%. You know, that'll, that'll cover it. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus like, he doesn't even say anything. Is it, that's, what you, that's your conviction? Do it, Zacchaeus. And in fact, Jesus actually, in other situations, Jesus doesn't like lessen our burden of faith. You know, if we say, okay, this is a little bit extreme, you know, we're going to do this thing. Jesus doesn't say, no, let me make it easier for you with faith. You know, just don't be so radical. If anything, Jesus chastises his disciples and says, what's wrong with you? You've got a lack of faith. You know, go and do these things. Pray for people. See them be healed. Get out there. And when it doesn't happen, he doesn't say, well, that was kind of extreme. You were praying for physical healing. He says, where's your faith? 
You know, so if anything, Jesus ups the ante. And when we look at the way this closes, Jesus responded. He doesn't respond, Zacchaeus, that's a little extreme. Calm down a bit. You're becoming a religious nut. You know, you become crazy for me. No, he, he responds this way. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus is saying, look, this is totally fine. This, I'm totally okay with this. My job, Jesus' job, he says, I have come to seek and to save those who have lost. And he said, basically, I got one. I found one. I got him. And Jesus is super excited about that. And we should be too. Uh, we should not allow, uh, you know, our conviction to, to move us away from Christ. Our conviction should draw us uh, to, to Christ. It's a wonderful thing to, to have conviction. And it could be that God is convicting you of something you've done wrong, like Zacchaeus. And he's saying, make it right. Uh, sometimes God is convicting us because we're just living a less than exciting life in church and in Christ. And Jesus is saying, come on, get a move on, you know, up the ante a little bit, uh, you know, make, make a difference. I want to finish this way. You know, the book of Revelation closes with, I think, a reflection of this story uh, of Zacchaeus. Uh, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, Jesus is talking to the different churches, and he's basically, uh, in, a, in a loving way, convicting them of what they've done right and what they've done wrong. And uh, we see this in the, in the church of Laodicea. This is Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 20. And Jesus says to this church, he says, look, in verse 15, I know the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. He says, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And then Jesus says, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want and everything I need. But you don't really realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Yikes. I mean, you talk about Jesus, not mincing word. Okay, you think you've got a lot of money and you're just doing great and you're, you know, your following of faith is Kind of wishy-washy, and Jesus just like lays into them. But then this is what he does say. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. It's a reflection back to the Zacchaeus story. He's knocking, he's saying, I want to come in. I want to have a meal. I want to, you know, uh, be part of your life. And he's saying it's not okay to live a life that's just lukewarm. Jesus is saying, look, either be like totally for me or just like totally against me. But lukewarm, just talking the talk is not going to cut it. And Jesus sees right through it. And so he's excited about it and challenging us on it. And we need to be challenged on it. 
And we need to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, I had a great uh, challenging conviction of the Holy Spirit that some of you know about. A few years ago, we were up at the conference in Lewiston, Maine, Vineyard uh, East Coast Conference. And I, I just like conferences, I'll be honest. And I'm really excited about this one that Stephen was promoting down in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey, because it's focused on the Holy Spirit. I like conferences because invariably I learn a lot. I see what other people are doing. I get inspired by other people's lives. And actually, I don't really go to conferences expecting God to speak to me or, you know, um, uh, uh, this is going to be a defining moment. I, I just kind of go to conferences because I just enjoy everything about them. So we're up at the conference in Maine, uh, and many of you were up there in Lewiston, Maine. It was a great conference. And uh, I felt the Holy Spirit convict me this way. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Rob, I need you to say yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes to what? I need you, when you get offered something in spiritual terms, I need you to say yes. Well, I didn't like that. I remember talking to my wife, Liz, about it. I said, Liz, I'm feeling very, very uncomfortable. I'm feeling like the Holy Spirit has said to me and convicting me that, Rob, if somebody offers, invites you to something, you need to say yes. Now, I've done a great job of saying no. Uh, people say, well, do you want to come speak here? No, I'm not good enough. There's somebody else better. Do you want to do this? No, there's somebody else better that can do it. Much better, more educated, more qualified, more experienced, more whatever. Uh, uh, I've told you guys very often, I feel somewhat uncomfortable with public speaking, even though I'm comfortable speaking today with you here. So anyway, I'm just, what does this mean? I don't know. It's uncertain. God is often like that. He doesn't tell you what. He's just saying, do you have the faith to obey me, Rob? And so, of course, I love the Lord, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what you're up to, Lord, but I feel like you're up to something. Finally, I say yes. I said, and I'm, I'm really nervous about this, because I, I, I realize I'm saying yes to God, but I don't know what I'm saying yes to. I'm just saying yes. If somebody offers me something, invites me to something, I'm going to say yes, because I know I would have said no. I'm not kidding you. A, I don't know how it happened, a day later or at that time or what happened. I get an email uh, from folks in Spain, and they say, Rob, will you please preach at our conference that we're going to have for the vineyard churches in Spain? And I'm like, no. Oh, yes, I will. Hit the send button. I'm like, oh, no, what have I just said yes to? This is terrible. I'm like, it's absolutely terrible. I then go to a meeting, and it's a Spain partnership meeting that we do with all the other churches. And uh, I thought they'd set me up. I thought, like, but no, they hadn't. They didn't even know about my commitment to the Lord and this invite from Spain. So anyway, fast forward. Uh, I then go to the conference and uh, uh, in Barcelona and... Uh, had a, a, a phenomenally great conference. I really, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And part of the reason I so enjoyed it was I got to um, pray for a whole bunch of uh, millennial guys, girls that had come from all over Spain that were passionate about Jesus but didn't know what to do about church. And, and they were asking questions. And, and so the long and the short of it is God just filled these guys up with such encouragement in a place where church isn't exactly thriving. And these guys went back to the part of Spain that I typically uh, do missions work in, which is in Sevilla area, the southern part of Spain. And these guys really 
you know, because I followed up with them the year afterwards, they really got excited about Jesus, got plugged into church, got involved in church. They, they're now leading worship. They're now leading small groups. They, they would try to uh, do church plans. I mean, it's really exciting what these guys have done. So uh, that was a great, you know, what came out of that. The other thing that came out of that, I met this guy, Paco, who was at the conference, uh, and he's, he had a church in Cordova, Spain, and uh, through our discussion and his uh, connection with the conference and seeing people uh, and seeing who we were and how we respond and what we looked like and how wonderfully we dressed, uh, he decided he wanted to become a vineyard. Uh, so he joined the vineyard movement. And then fast forward, fast forward, uh, things have ended up where uh, Paco and I now have a, um, I wouldn't say a mentoring relationship, i just say a friendship because... We're sort of similar in many ways, but he's trying to figure out what it means to be part of the larger body of Christ in Spain, where there's not a lot of Christian churches. Uh, and so uh, somebody asked me, uh, can, you co- can you commit, Rob, to going to Spain and being with Paco for twice a year? And again, I'm like, no, uh, yes, yes, yes. And you guys will pay for it. Yes, yes, I'll just do it. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go to Spain twice a year. Yes, yes, I do want to go to Spain quite a year. God, if it's you, I want to go. And so uh, I'm actually went in the beginning of this year. I'm going to be going uh, in October again. Uh, I'm going to miss this conference because I'm probably going to be in Spain. And uh, I think we're going to be planning a nice big missions trip next spring, uh, hopefully. Uh, I'll give you more information about that if it comes to be. Because Paco's, the, the government is now given Paco land. said, okay, yeah, you have this land free in the middle of Cordova. And not only that, we're going to help you build this church. And so they're giving him the ability to build this. I mean, this is unusual. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) But my uh, closing question uh, to you is this. What is Jesus saying to you? is he convicting you of something? Is he saying something in your life? Uh, is he saying that you lukewarm? Is, is he saying that, is Jesus saying that there's more that he's trying to invite you into? Uh, is Jesus saying that you don't know him and you, sh- and you need to get to know him? Is he in- extending an invite to say, look, just put your trust, your faith in me? Or is he saying to you, look, you, 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 you've gotten uh, complacent uh, and... Uh, God is saying there's more for you. Uh, what is God saying to you? I mean, it's different for all of us. Jesus speaks to us all differently. He convicts us all differently. But I'll say this much. Being convicted by the Holy Spirit, no matter how nerve-wracking it is, and I'm first one to say it's nerve-wracking, it's awesome. I mean, it really is. When we say yes to God, it's always great. The problem is when, you know, we screw it up. But God is a great God, and God is a God of love. God knows what's best for us. He knows what's going to fulfill us. God promises. Jesus promises us a rich and rewarding life. But we do need to say, yes, Jesus. And we don't get all the answers up front. That is why it's called faith. We trust in Jesus, and we give it to him, and then we just let it go where it goes. And that's nerve-wracking for us, but that's why it's called faith, and that's why Jesus is in control, and we aren't. Jesus, I just thank you that you love us, 
that you want what's best for us. You want what's best for our kids. But Lord, that you fill us with that sense of awe and of joy and of your presence. And Lord, sometimes I just have to admit you're just so mysterious and like we just don't figure you out. And then other times you just seem so close and so personal and we just can't get enough of you. So Lord, I just pray for your people. I just pray right now, Lord, that you would convict them. And Lord, you would allow us to respond to you, whatever it is that you're saying to us, knowing that there's always more. In your name, Jesus.